Ladies and gentlemen, are you sick of hearing about sledging, flying under the radar, and just taking it one week at a time? Well, you've come to the right place. The Gumshoe Sports Report is here to cut through the rubbish and give you unfiltered, hard facts. Failing that, you can listen to two blokes with faces absolutely fit for radio as they give you their own sizzling hot takes on everything sport. And to kick things off, here's your host, Marcus Wilson. Thank you, Bianca. Well, it's been another big week in sports, so let's get things started. Chris, it's great to be back. Marcus, it is awesome to have you back. No offence to Andy or Warren. Yeah, it's been a few weeks, but I've been listening in a couple of times, and it sounds like you're at, at your astute best, coming up with some big calls, a few little complaints here and there. It's just how you roll. I've got a lot of time to spare, and I spend a lot of it watching sports. So, Well, at the moment, all eyes are on Adelaide. The cricket's here, first test, Australia v India. We can't really talk about the result because we're recording before the match is finished. But you've already made some observations of Aussie cricket. I guess it's what's spanning back to um, the test series in the UAE, but especially here in, in the Oz. Yeah, I've been pretty negative about the state of Australian cricket for the last year. And I don't want to turn it into a rant because I have ranted a couple of times. I just the observations that I would make from what I've seen over the last six months is that our batting, first of all, is probably just not good enough. Mm. And I think the fact that we're um, so eager to change our batting lineup every sort of couple of tests, you get basically two tests, and everyone wants to get rid of Sean Marsh. And I'm the first one to to get on the Marshmallow Brothers and and say, nah, how many times do we need to give these guys a go? But if they're the best players we've got, we just need to pick and stick and go, I think that we should have the batting lineup we've got now. That's it for the four tests. Unless there's some something going on with a wicket that demands an extra bowl or something like that. I just don't think we're giving the players um, enough justice in, in actually having a go and cementing a spot. If so even if a player was to get, uh, you know, three ducks out of four innings or... Four ducks out of... Yeah, yeah. give him a go. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to drop him and Mm. you look at someone like a Renshaw whose confidence is shot, you send him back to shield cricket and his confidence is shot in shield cricket as Mm. well and then he has to go back to grey cricket to make 350 in a day. Um, But I just don't... I don't see the benefit in picking... Like, particularly given that our selectors seem to not pick the players when they're in form. Mm. They pick them a month after they've made runs or six weeks after they've made runs. If you haven't made runs in the first, in the game before the test match, you're not getting picked um, unless you've had like an extended run. Like I look at um, uh, uh, Marcus, I don't even know, Harris, Harris. Um, who's opening at the moment. Mm. He's made 250 and he made, I think, another 50 somewhere along the line. But that's the only runs he's made, and they've picked him. Now, you would argue that, yes, he's made the most runs in in shield cricket this year, but that's on the back of a 250-run innings. Mm. You take that out, he's probably not that much further, or he's probably not in front of anyone, mm. anyone else that's making runs. And, I mean, I get annoyed that Mitch and Sean Marsh go back, they make 100, come back in the Australian team, and bat like they don't know which end of the bat to hold. But... They've made the runs in shoot cricket. You've got to either give them a go or go, that's it, we're not picking you ever again. I don't care if you make a 1,000 runs. You're not, you're not playing. You're done. Um, 
it's it's uncharted territory for Australian cricket to have to face this. You've got to have backbone. You've got to have courage in what you're deciding. And so far, it's probably the first time in our sort of lifetime. Yeah, I mean, like, in, would it our, go back to the late '80s since there's been instability in the batting lineup or even? Things. Oh, I mean, maybe after like Warren McGrath and um, Langer all sort of retired at the same time, mm. we lost that. Um, that caliber of player, we've sort of been treading water since then, and we've been lucky in that Steve Smith's managed to probably paper wallpaper mm. over a few of the cracks in the Australian side. And now he's gone for this summer; um, they're being sort of shown up. But I don't see what the alternative is. I was sort of suggesting to you um, before we went on air that. Like, I've read all of Steve War's um, tour diaries and, and books and so forth, and I can't remember if it was 89 or 93, but he made a comment when they were playing England that every second test their batting lineup would change mm. and they just kept rotating players through and said, how do you ever expect these guys to find form if you're not giving them multiple tests to find their feet? If, you're, if your first priority is, I have to make runs, otherwise I'm going to get dropped... You're never gonna. That's not conducive to to making runs. You need to go right. We're gonna give you four tests. You've got four tests to do it. We'll go. We'll make the decision further down the track. But at least it gives you a little while to to get your feet and get your head around. From it. a spectator's point of view, that period of English cricket, you'd watch it, and a, a guy would come in, and you'd be thinking, "Who's this character?" And as an Australian bowler, I'm sure they're thinking the same. They're going, "They've brought this guy in. He's going to be number one. He's going to be nervous." Number two, he's unproven. Whereas if you stick with a few guys and maybe they're averaging 30. But, yeah, at least, you know, they've got the backing of the selectors, which means they've got a real long-term focus and they really believe in this player rather than switching, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And if you've got a, a pick between... Like I keep saying Sean Marsh's name, and I just use that as an example. Mm. But if you've got someone who's 35 and someone who's 25, pick the 25-year-old. Thirty-five-year-olds had his chance, and if he hasn't cemented his spot by that age, then you know what—you're probably not going to cement it. And even if you do, you're only going to be in the team for another year or two, and then you're gone. You might as well give the guy at twenty-five a decent crack at it and go right. You've got a number of tests to to earn your spot. If you haven't done it after that, then we'll revisit it. But that doesn't mean you're going to get dropped. It just means if you haven't made the runs and someone else has. Your spot is is up for grabs. Uh, but that's part of the courage as well for selectors because uh, we remember that disastrous was it against Pakistan where we saw Callum Ferguson get axed after one test and they said, oh, from now on, no more thirty plus players. It's all about promoting the youth and, and sticking with that path." But they obviously got jumpy and said, "We need some sort of experience or solidarity there." Well, this this comes back to the whole. Like, I think where Cricket Australia is all... I don't know that the left hand knows what the right hand is doing. Mm. We've seen... No one really got the bullet for sandpaper. We saw a couple of players get the the chop. We saw a report come out that said that basically the the background is toxic and... But no one really lost their job over that. Like, Boof, Boof left before basically any of that came out but we haven't seen anyone from the board cop it they've a couple of them have walked away but no one's actually copped it in the neck for that there's been no responsibility taken by that 
now they're sort of going down this PR path of trying to make the team look good. Then that sort of backfired and everyone reckons they're going to play soft and, and stuff like that. And there doesn't seem to be any great leadership from anywhere within Cricket Australia, from within the team or external of the team, that says that seems to have a path that, that at least publicly they're taking us with them. It's more just we know we look really bad and we're going to try and make ourselves look a bit better. But it's not with the intent to make the public go with them. It's mm. more just we don't want to get booed when we come out onto Australian grounds. And and the direction that the team's going in doesn't seem to... doesn't I don't know what it is. And this comes down to sort of the second point with the bowlers. Like I've sort of fairly carved up the, the batting line up there, but the bowlers don't seem to have... I don't know if it's a plan B. They have really good plans that are really solid, but if they don't work, they just bowl the same ball six balls and over, and they get belted. We look at the one-day team. Mm-hmm. Don't bowl Yorkers. Don't ever bowl Yorkers. It's a it's a good weapon. Like mm. just bowl them occasionally. Like now, even with Mitch Stark, who's probably one of the best bowlers of it in international cricket, never bowls them anymore mm. unless he's bowling at, like, number 11. Bowling the openers. You yeah. saw what happened to Brendan McCullum in the in the World Cup final. Destroyed his stumps, like, first ball of the game. He has the ability to do this to international class batsmen, but they seem to be so intent on bowling, having bowlers that can bowl 900 variations of the same slow ball mm. that all get carded. Or take wickets and there's nothing in the middle. There's no variation. Mm. And then today I was watching and um, on the Fox coverage, Shane Warne was was losing his mind that <laughs> Nathan Lyon didn't have someone at a sort of short cover and catching mm. position and went on about it for about eight overs. And it didn't seem to occur to anyone out there to actually put someone in there and put these batsmen under pressure. Mm. You, may not, you may have a plan on what you're going to do, but... Put them, put them under pressure. You don't need to have a... Well, we'll kind of put you under pressure here, but we'll have a couple of backstops in case things go wrong. You need to... Particularly in the position that we're in after the sort of first innings where the, um, in the second innings, the Indian batsmen are sort of getting away from mm. them a bit. Put them under pressure. You make sure that you're trying to win the game. Don't try and keep yourself in the game. Uh, go out and win it. Um, I've heard Warnie talk about the Yorkers and... I'm not surprised. He's for a guy that's such a loose cannon. He's got some great thoughts about cricket, and and it's basically to be to follow the basics, be attacking, and what yeah, what he's saying and what you're saying is common sense. Uh, is it Australia once again has never had to? Normally they're you know 500 in front and they can do what they want with the fielding positions. They can try different things. Maybe it's just a different. Yeah, I, I get that if that's your player's mentality. Mm. But you've got coaches and managers yeah. in there that surely be. must be, that must know. Like, you go and watch any other international team. Watch the Poms. They, when they go the slap, which they do in their one day, particularly their, their short form cricket, they are a very attacking, batting and bowling mm. team. But when they bat, they bat, they keep their feet still. You watch any of our players like Chris Lynn, Glenn Maxwell, they're all running around like yahoos trying mm. to hit it while they're on the move. The Poms go the slap, but they've got steady hands, steady feet, steady head. Um, it's hard to pick up the ball when your head's bobbling around while you're running 
basically go and stand next to the square leg umpire yep. and swing from the rafters. Well, if it comes off, it looks great, but at the moment, it's not coming off. So, mm. yeah, I, I just think that surely there's someone in the coaching ranks or the management ranks that just looks at it and goes, well, we're not we're not utilising all of our skill set at the moment. They just seem to bowl to 70%. Like, if you were a batsman facing Australia, you could basically go, right, I'm not going to get a Yorker. I'm not going to get a half volley outside off stump. I'm going to get a length ball or I'm going to get a short ball. And that's basically all they bowl at the moment. Um, and I just think they'd surely they must be easy to pick and we've got the best probably the best bowling lineup in, in international cricket at the moment um, and they're quick and they're sharp but it's the UAE and stuff where they're just flat pitches where the ball's not doing much they must be fodder if you're the batsman and you know there's a 70 to 80% chance the ball's going to be in two places it's pretty easy to line up a shot when you're when you're pretty confident of where the ball's going to go so yeah, I mean, I, I haven't really been critical of the Aussie bowlers. I reckon they're the the, the high point of the, the year, basically. They've... But that's because the batting is so poor that they make the batting the batters look good. Yeah. Like, if you think of what we've got, we should be skittling teams for next to nothing. Mm. But we're not. Like, when our batters are eking out 250s, but our bowlers are still leaking 300-plus scores regularly. And... You'll even look at the first innings of the first test. We had them for 40. They go on and make 250. Mm. Because once the ball got soft, they just bowled in the same spot over and over again. And if you have the um, ability to just bat time like Pajara did and not play Hollywood. village cricket shots, mm. then you can make runs against us because it's just you make them after the ball gets soft, after about 25 overs, they're pretty much fodder for... Um, so answer this. So you believe they have the talent to deliver all these different and variations and in, in yep. field places? Yeah, in, in the bowling. Yeah. Yep. So is it? I don't know. Is it courage, mindset? I can't. Well, I, can't I can't imagine. Put my out. I can't imagine that um, Justin Langer or whoever the bowling mm. coach is. Well, it changes. Seems to change pretty rapidly at the moment. But say it's David Staker, for example. Yeah. I can't imagine he's going out there saying, right, I want you to bowl 10% Yorkers when you're bowling stock ball. So have your plan, like say in a test match, you go outswinger, 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 and then I want a big dirty off cutter to see if you can skittle off stump. If you're setting someone up like that, cool. But if you're not setting them up, you need to vary what you're doing. And varying isn't fifth stump line bouncer. It's fifth stump line bouncer kind of shorter ball, Yorker, slower ball. Like, try everything if you're just bowling. If you're not trying to sort of get a wicket through a plan, you need to vary what you're doing so that no one can get a hold of you. At the moment, they're they're all too easy to get a hold of because they're all doing the same, basically, their stock ball, which is easy to pick off if if you're pretty confident you know where it's going to be. We've got to get you in there, Chris. What do I know? If they're not listening to Warnie, they're not listening to me. Yeah. But what he's saying is some pretty basic stuff. Like, but all yeah. the commentators have said it for the last six yeah. months to a year. And I don't know if they've just got the TV turned down or they're, just, they're so arrogant that they think that, no, we know what's best. 
and they're not listening to any mm. outside advice. Um, and this this comes sort of down to the the next point, where it sort of leads into this Jared Waitley Michael Clark feud, where mm. um, all the talk was that the Australian players are in a bit of a bubble, and that they don't really know how they're perceived on the outside. They've got a perception of what they think is going on, um, and they're probably miles off. And I I think this is similar with the coaches. The coaches are the entire team or including surround support staff and all that are all in this bubble where they're the only ones that that can make a decision on what's going on and they don't want to take advice from anyone else. There is there's heaps of people around cricket, even within the commentary teams, that have played, even that don't play. Like, if I can pick it up, playing church cricket that you're not bowling Yorkers. It's not that hard to work out. Like Go and watch any other team play and how they vary things up. We just bowl the same stuff all the time. Like just It it drives me mad that if I can see it that they can't. And I I watch each sport, but I'm, I know... I mean, once, once again, though, like, I reckon it's... I remember when the, the Redbacks went through a shocking period and they just were bottom all the time. Just terrible. Like, like now. And they're back again. <laughs> But they went through a period, I think it was when they got Michael Klinger in. And the mindset, because I was going to the press conferences, I was, I was hearing what they were saying. They, It was all about just showing fight, showing resistance. It was boring cricket. I, I was watching these games and doing match. They were making 250 in a day, but they were playing to make the game go to four days and if there was a chance to win on the last day, yeah, so be it. They were they were batting to try and keep themselves so that someone would declare and set them some soft target that yeah. they could slap. And if it went wrong going the slap, they go, "Oh, well, we were in it up until the last day." Yeah, that's so. Not- but see, I wouldn't be surprised if they're saying, uh, if that's how you're perceiving and, and it's right, I would say it reflects that they don't have confidence in this team to be a uh, let's get on the front foot and and take games by the scruff of the neck. But if you don't have confidence in them, then why do you keep? Chopping and changing, mm. you, like if you don't have, you might as well pick someone and just let them go, because if you're certainly not going to get the best out of everyone by changing the team every five minutes, like what? Who does that benefit? It doesn't benefit the players that are coming in and out of the team. Mm. It doesn't benefit anyone. Even like you could be in the shield setup thinking I'm a chance to get a a game if I can peel two hundreds off in consecutive games, but you, if you're constantly got in the back of your mind, but if I don't make fifty. In the first two tests, I'm going to get dropped. Yeah. How's that going to affect your your mentality going into the game? I just think, like, if you look at any sports, the ones that are like it's easy to say the teams that are set are the ones that are successful because normally they're successful because they're good. So it's easy, excuse me, easy to set them up. But yeah, either that or stop playing India every three years and. And go, right, well, where we are in the world, we need to start playing the West Indies. We need to start playing Bangladesh mm. and not treat them like second-class citizens and go, it's probably where we are and and do it that way. Yeah. Because you can't treat these teams like minnows and then, like Sri Lanka are coming later in the summer, they get two tests. Yeah. And what are they? They're in like Tassie and Canberra or somewhere like that. And you're like, well... What do they think coming out here? Mm. Um, last time we played them over there, they belted us. So 
we're not we're not going that crash shot, and that was with Smith and Warner. Yeah. Speaking of uh, just going back to the whole selections and the sort of rotating door, I thought it was refreshing to hear Justin Langer speaking about Travis Head before the Test match, and there's been a lot of talk, I guess, because we're in SA, we're like, oh, will he? Won't Travis Head play? And Perhaps. He batted to save the test mm. two tests ago what? and wasn't guaranteed a spot in this test, according to everyone yeah, except Justin well, Langer. Anyway, yeah, Langer comes on interviews and says, no, nah, he was always in. We believe in this guy. We saw what he did in the UAE. So I sometimes wonder whether a lot of uh, uh, fears and perceptions about the side are generated by podcasts, by radio Sorry. radio <laughs> talkback, um, and probably a few ex-players that are pay to say drop him bring him in or have been asked that because that after all that talk and i was watching heads shield scores closely and going oh is that enough <laughs> for him to stay in the side where langer in his plan was like nah he's playing i pretty much know what i've got with this guy and i think he's going to be good and that's refreshing that's good mm. like come out and take the public with you on this on yeah. this journey that you're doing. Like, let us know what's going on. Who cares? So get in early. And- Who cares if India know that what the batting lineup's mm. going to be? Like, it's not... I don't know. Yeah. If... if <laughs> The only thing that would be in Australia's advantage at the moment is that literally anyone could get a game for Australia. And, and if don't. India don't... <laughs> if India have to find video footage of 50 players and all these guys are a realistic chance to bat, yep. then... But I don't think that that's... I think the benefits you get from coming out and saying this is our team are much better than any, like come out and say all right um, who's who got in Hanscom and Mitchell Marsh yeah. you're having a bat off whoever yeah. makes the most runs in the Shield game you're in cool put them under pressure that's fine but if you're going to pick them then go and if you get picked you're going to get three or four tests that's it. Um, but are we forgiving enough? Are we? Do we want people to do that? And then, like, if just say he says Travis Head's our man, he's our number six, and he doesn't make a run for like how long do you go before you backflip? But I, but I think that if you give them a set amount of time, like mm. say what that time is, yeah. say it's three tests, four tests. It's a four test series. Yeah. Every series that we pick, the first test, the yeah. first twelve yeah. is going to be our twelve for the series, unless there's a mm. a majorly different conditions that yeah. demand us pick another a person. And I'm get- We're going into every test at the moment. Yeah. And it's a lottery who's going to get a game. Yeah. And literally every test you go, I'm not sure who's who's yeah. going to be playing in the next test. Yeah, it's and you ridiculous. wouldn't you, you wouldn't mention average probably. You wouldn't say you have to average that you'd no say one can average anything in shield cricket and the averages are yeah. they average fifty because they make two hundred and fifty and they make five for the next four rings yeah. and you go, Oh I average fifty. Mm. Well yeah, but you made one good score and four absolutely rank scores. That's mm. not that yeah, averages can be deceptive. I would rather consistency. I'd rather someone who made thirty every innings mm. than someone who made two hundred and fifty five 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 five. Yeah. because um, at least you know what you're gonna get out of them. Yeah. Hey, Chris, let's talk about, you, you briefly mentioned Jared Waitley uh, and Michael Clark. Yep. Go into this with a bit more depth. Why why did this ruffle Michael Clark's feathers so much? Well, it starts off with Michael Clark coming out and saying that he doesn't want Australia to be liked. He wants them to play hard cricket mm. and win. And that's, um, 
that's what he sort of thinks is the way that we should go. Jared Waitley has a radio program in Melbourne and he does a little monologue. So if you think of like a Dave Letterman style show where the start of the show, he'll give sort of two or three minutes of whatever he thinks going on. Now, he lined Michael Clark up pretty well and some of it I thought was fair, some of it I thought was unfair, but basically came out and said that the whole Sandpaper Gate in its uh, essence, came about from Michael Clark's captaincy and his win at all costs and um, sort of setting a line, like saying, no, we don't cross the line, and then not actually saying what the line was and constantly really pushing it. Mm. Um, and that, that sort of stemmed from, from him. He didn't like that um, and came out the next day and, and put a couple of what he called facts that were they were facts but they were really nothing to do with what Waitley actually said and he was sort of saying things like well no one complained when I took us from fifth in the world rankings to first in the world rankings and I never had a I never had a disciplinary um charge brought against me oh except when one of my players got Hmm. um harassed and I know I would do that again and rah 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 um it wasn't it wasn't the most um, forthright defence that I that I've seen, um, but I guess it also depends on where you where you sort of stand in the in the scheme of things. Like I'm not a massive Michael Clark fan. Um, batting great, but I don't. I didn't like his captaincy particularly. I didn't like. I don't like his commentary. I don't like his perception of things. I don't agree with a lot of what he says, so I like I find it easy to go. Oh, someone's criticised Michael Clark. Let me read that. No, oh, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, that, 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 and I can gloss over the bits that weren't yeah. weren't right. But um, yeah, like I sort of found myself like I listened to the Jared Waitley spiel, and then I I read the transcript afterwards just to make sure that I sort of didn't miss anything. Mm. And um, yeah, like I, I think it's. It's probably harsh to say that what happened is a result of him, but I do think that the that constantly saying no, we push up to the line, but we don't cross the line, was not what's the line. You, you've not at any stage specified what the actual yeah. line is, so it's easy to say every time you do something that that I think we as Joe Public go, I'm not really super comfortable with the look of that. That's not necessarily how I want to and like we go back to the um, an image where I think it was Jimmy Anderson was batting and Michael Clark said I'm going to break your expletive arm mm. I don't think that's I don't want to see that no and I certainly don't want to hear stuff like that like I don't mind if you're sledging someone and, and you've got the this guy doesn't know which end to bat and it's only a matter of time here but, and like just the general bantery sledges but I think when you get to threats of physical violence and sledges of a personal nature. I don't think they're... I don't think that's hard cricket. I think that's, in fact, probably soft cricket in that you, you're you resorting to trying to scare people rather than trying to get them out. I, yeah, I don't get, think get in their minds. So but I, I reckon... I reckon the... I reckon Australia's been festering as a bad cricket nation for for years. Yeah, and we've, we've liked it. Well, I think we've almost said it as a badge of honour. Michael Clark seemed to be under the impression that 
they were respected by... I don't think the Australian cricket team's been respected for 20 years. Yeah. I think they Longer, longer. Yeah, they, they're hated. Yeah. And half the time, like, I watch them thinking, you are the biggest bunch of arrogant turds. <laughs> um, if it wasn't for the fact that you were re- representing the country that I happen to follow, yeah. I would probably hate you. Like, yes. In fact, I'm confident that I hate you. Yeah. I don't even really like you when you're <laughs> playing for my team. So... Um, if I was playing against you, I would 100% hate you. But and this comes back to that the bubble that I think these guys all live in. That because they represent Australia, that Australia is going to love everything that they do. Mm. And it's as long as we're winning, everything's fine. Well, what we were winning for a long time, and even you look back. I know this is sort of drawing a long bow, but you look back. Was it 20 years ago when they put the Australia A one-day team yep. in there? How many people were barracking for the Australia <laughs> A team? Heaps, because it was the same thing. This Australian team had this arrogance about them, and they just thought that they were the best. You put an A team in, which was probably a better one-day team as it was, yeah. and then those two teams make the finals, and they take one of the players out of Australia A <laughs> and put him in Australia. Like You just go, well, that's... That's ridiculous, and that like I think that's that bubble that these guys all live in. That they think that everyone loves them. Everyone likes them because they're the only people to like. Mm. If you pit them against another Australian team, probably half of them would get booed. So get out of the bubble. Go out and do some like school stuff. Go out and see what these people are. Uh, yeah, have you noticed though they're doing a lot of autograph signing and selfies? Yeah. And I just it's good, but. It feels like it's a little... Uh, it's contrived, 100% yeah. contrived, but, <laughs> but they need to do that. Like, mm. They need to go out and show that these people... Like, I think Tim Payne um, is the perfect person to lead them at the moment because he's got the demeanour that I think Australians would want to see mm. their at cricketers the yeah. have. And I don't care if the fast bowlers start firing. Like, they got a bit, um, a bit chirpy in, in the first innings, and I don't mind that. But if you start getting people acting like Coley, that's what I don't like. And I don't like Coley for that reason. He carries on like a complete pork chop. If that was one of the Australians, and this is what Justin Langer, I think, came out and said overnight, is that if Coley did that, if Coley was playing for Australia, he would be crucified right now. And I think he would. But I also think he should be. But India have this untouchable sort of nature about them within the ICC, the World of Cricket, because they bring in so much money that... You just you have to kowtow to to whatever they they do, and they're always right. Which perhaps that's the fact that we've had that for the last one hundred years. That perhaps we're getting sort of a bit of our own medicine now, and seeing how the cricket, we'll call them minnows, have felt for the last one hundred years. It's suddenly the power switch is is on, and we don't necessarily like the way it's going. So I think we've covered pretty much everything we can. We can cover it. Chris, I've missed this. You've been fiery. You've been honest. Probably overbearing. (laughs) I think you should... I think you should... Over the Christmas break, when you've got even more time on your hands. I I don't know if that's possible. Yeah, you have more time on your... I'm actually having an operation on my wrist. I was going to suggest a social media campaign, but if your wrist is out of action, you can't tweet or anything. No. no. I was going to say just a barrage of tweets to the Australian cricket side while they're playing... Basically outlining this bowling bowling strategy and where they're falling short. I probably need to do a bit of research, like who the actual bowling coach is and maybe <laughs> target them a little 
um, and go, hey, JL, any any danger of picking the same team two tests in a row? Nah, good that? stuff. Loved it. Well, I haven't heard that noise for a while, Chris, and that is for Chris's golf section. Chris, the biggest name still in golf, it was in Australia. Yes, Tiger Woods has been parading the President's Cup trophy around uh, Melbourne this week, um, photobombing uh, our good friend at Fox Footy, um, Julian Julian DeStoop, who's been photobombed three times now whilst being live on air. Once at Carlton, when someone from... They were doing a story about something they didn't like, so someone came out with a hooter and actually blew the hooter in his face while he was on air. <laughs> and then he also got photobombed by Aaron Baines and Paddy Mills after they won... Uh, the NBA championship with the Spurs, then they were doing a bit of a national tour with the trophy. I'll be honest, I think both those boys had a couple of beers under the belt, but they crossed between Julian DeStoop and the camera while he was doing a live cross, and he didn't realise who it was and started shoving Paddy Mills, who had his arm in a sling and one hand on the trophy. This week, it was uh, Tiger Woods' turn to just casually walk behind the camera or behind Julian DeStoop in shot, and I think he only realised as he was halfway through, he's like, ooh, someone's in a live cross. And then he kind of stopped, looked at the camera, waved at the camera, and then walked on. So I think that's a pretty decent trifecta um, of live cross bombs that he's got there. Now, I know it's a golf section, but I'm guessing as a reporter, this sort of live action while you're doing a report is a nightmare. And it exposes who you really are, I think. Yeah, and he, <laughs> I think he's been exposed as an angry, angry little man. Because it's the way you react, and I the, can understand why you're annoyed because so many Yahoo, as soon as the camera's on, it's crazy. Well, the Carlton guy sort of came from behind. Like, he mm. was standing at the front door, and someone came out the front door, which he wouldn't have seen. Mm. And then when the hood went off, it didn't scare him, but he kind of turned around and gave someone, like, massive stink eye. But the, the Baines and Paddy Mills one, these guys came from, obviously, behind the camera. So he could see them milling around, and then when they jumped in front of his shot... He got physical with them and and wasn't amused. Mm. And I know they've brought it up on Fox Footy before and, and had a bit of a joke at his expense. And he's now able to laugh about it. But uh, yeah. Anyway, Tiger is in town. Yes. It seems a long way out to promote it, or not not too too far out. I was surprised. Yeah. Um, I would have thought that sort of a couple of weeks before Christmas wasn't necessarily the the best time. Whether ticket sales, because the Presidents Cup, for those of you who don't know, is it's a bit like the Ryder Cup. It's America versus, in this case, the rest of the world minus Europe. Um, and it's being held in Melbourne in March. So where the ticket sales are not quite what they thought they would be at this stage, um, there's still a bit of um, there's still a bit of time to see who's actually in the team. So it's a bit hard to sort of jump on. If you're an Australian going, right, I want to see... Uh, I'll think I'll go out and I'll, I'll watch Adam Scott, Mark Leishman, Cam Smith... Jason Day, there's a couple of those that that wouldn't be qualified. I wouldn't imagine okay. right now. So yeah, you want those names, don't you? There is still there's a couple of spots that are up for grabs that, uh, like a captain's pick, um, that the captain um, is able to pick whoever they want. And normally they'll go with whoever the home country is. They'll pick their best player that's not already qualified. Um, but it's hard to. It's hard to fire up for something in March, and particularly golf. Like golf is not. Having watched the Australian tournaments over the last two or three weeks, it's not a big crowd participation sport. Like I think a lot of people would watch it on TV, mm. 
but I also think a lot of people watch it because there's not really a real lot else on. Like if it clashes with the cricket, it's going to lose. But yep. there's nothing else on at that time. So you it's kind a, of have it's a, a Sunday of- afternoon. It beats an old black and white movie sort of <laughs> yeah, yeah. thing to tune in. Casablanca's <laughs> have a 900th rerun, so um, or some spaghetti western that no one's yep. ever heard of. So I, I think closer to the time once you start getting to know who's actually going to be picked might be a. Um, you might see a bit more interest in it, but yeah, I'm not really sure what the point of bringing the trophy out now is. And like he did all the promo stuff and putted. I don't even know what the tower's called. It used to be Rialto Tower in the tallest tower in Melbourne. Yep. He was in a glass bottom lift and was putting on the glass bottom uh-huh. lift and like all that sort of cheesy yep. stuff that you'd expect. Going down the beach and taking the the trophy down the beach as you do down at Brighton Beach. So putting some sunscreen on it, giving it a massage. Well, I don't know what sort of <laughs> dirty beach activity you and your lovely are doing. But um, I saw Tiger um, being interviewed. I think he was involved in the tournament in the Bahamas, uh, but speaking more generally and the, the fact that he was coming to Australia. He's, he's, he always shown... He seemed relaxed. He seemed... He was cracking jokes. And I liked what I saw rather than the sort of stiff Tiger that I'm normally... I probably only hear bite-sized bits of him speaking. And it's probably right after he's, yeah. he's been in tournament place. But is that generally him or is he relaxing more now that he's starting to play well and oh, all look, the My experience pastors... of dealing with Tiger. No, but, you know, you, you watch him a lot yeah. or you watch golf a lot. Yeah, no, I do. I, I think since he's come back, uh, he does seem to have a, um, a lot more relaxed demeanour about him. But if I wasn't trying to hide 14 girlfriends in... Ten different cities. I'd probably, mm. I'd probably be stressed if I was trying to keep those secrets going all the time. So um, now he's a bit more relaxed. He can, and I think, I don't know. Like I listen to, like I watch a lot of American sports coverage, mainly through ESPN, but through different bits and pieces. And I think the media coverage he gets over there, all is forgiven. If he keeps winning, everyone will just forget about what he's done in the, in the past. So I think he gets a pretty good run, so he doesn't need to have that stress, knowing mm. that if he gets any sort of half-decent score, the media's going to be all over him and they're going to shower him with praise. So mm. I think that kind of takes a bit of the, the pressure off as well. So, But he certainly is a lot more jovial, whether the fact that this may be... Maybe I'm overselling it, but the... Rivalry he had with Phil Mickelson has turned more into a friendship now. Mm. So whether that light-hearted sledging of each other becomes a bit more amicable than whereas before it was always constant like stink eye and they're always trying to get in each other's head. Mm. Now it's more like you and me playing golf where I'd be trying to get in your head but it would be funny. Mm. Um, Except you'd take pity on me and try encourage me rather than... <laughs> No, nah, probably, probably not. <laughs> Just laugh at you. Yeah. Um, but so whether he's lost that, he doesn't have animosity with anyone anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, and but he also doesn't have the fear factor. The players don't fear him like they used mm. to. So whether that was part of the burden, you know, or he had to portray himself as the bad guy so that he intimidated other players. No mm. one's intimidated by him anymore. They are all they all can do what he does. Mm. His ability to smash the ball three hundred yards out of a fairway out of a fairway bunker half the players can do that now he's not superman 
all these got they're all supermen like it's watch any of these tournaments these guys are hitting unbelievable shots constantly and it would be the 200th ranked player in the world that you've never heard of can suddenly bomb the ball 350 yards down the fairway whereas before there was only a handful of people that can do it so um i think definitely that air of invincibility is gone so then either a he needs to come up with a new persona so it's going to be captain nice guy yeah or his natural demeanor can can kick back in and he doesn't have to put on this pretense of being superman mm. um anymore but Anyway, he, uh, he is he's good to watch and yeah. when he's cracking gags, he's he's a pretty funny guy. Yeah. Now back to the President's Cup, uh, a fairly high profile name in the US. Uh, one of my favorite players. One of your favorites may not be playing. Yeah, Bubba Watson. Um for those of you if you're never sure who Bubba is, A he's left-handed and there's not heaps of him around. B his driver's got a pink shaft. So you look for the pink shaft. Um but he's decided that, and he's been busting Tiger's chops, because uh, Tiger's going to be the captain of the President's Cup team. Um, he's been busting Tiger's chops to be a vice-captain, which means it's almost like a mentoring role. You go, you don't, generally you don't play, uh, and you just give advice. Now, as it stands at the moment, he's currently 12th in the President's Cup ranking point. So he's actually eligible to be picked in the team, but sort of intimated... I don't know if he's actually said it as such, but the reports that I've read have sort of said that he thinks that he's got more to offer by not playing and offering advice to some of the younger guys and um, and thinks that he would be a better fit for the team as vice-captain than, than player. He had... Uh, he's, the last couple of years have been quite inconsistent, but he probably had some of his better results this year. They've just been sprinkled with some pretty average stuff as well, but... In the last couple of years, he hasn't had that that real um, good performance in sort of a handful of tournaments that he had this year. So that's why he's qualified, but he's probably still not the bubber of all we saw. I think it was 2012 in the Masters where he was just hitting unbelievable shots, round trees and and all sorts. He just he doesn't have that that anymore. Um, and another thing, just for those of you who are either getting into golf or have high handicaps. Bubba's never had a professional lesson. His hands and feet are all over the shop. He quite regularly actually makes contact with the ball with zero feet, with zero any part of him touching the ground. He's off the ground. Like, he swings that hard. He swings his feet off the ground when he makes contact. So don't think that you need to have the perfect uh, style or um, technique. Anyone can do anything. And he... He's got the biggest hack you've ever seen. It looks like it should slice a mile, but somehow it doesn't. So it can work. So who would be in the rest of the world? Are there a couple of players that played last weekend on the Gold Coast that would be considered? Uh, Not even? No, I wouldn't think so. You've probably got a couple of South Africans, um, maybe Louis Eusthausen, maybe. So you wouldn't see any Aussies playing? Oh, no, you'd get, like, Leishman and Smith would... Will play. Yeah, they played last week. They'd, they'd definitely be in. Jason Day would definitely yeah. be in. Sorry, Cameron Smith, he's ranked, I think, about 30th in the world. He was 33, but I don't know whether winning last week um, up in the Gold Coast changes his world rankings. It, it might sort of put him up a couple of points, but I would think he would be one of those guys that's right on the bubble of getting picked. Probably would be 
um, given um, how many players are either European or American in the in the top fifth, say twenty. Um, you're probably going to get a couple of South Koreans that no one's ever heard of. Um, Hideki Matsuyawa from Japan would get a gig. Um, there's a there's a Thai player who's his name has just got every letter in the alphabet. I don't even begin to um, pronounce it, but um, there's probably a couple of Indians might mm-hmm. get a gig as well. But if there's a couple of Canadians floating around the USPGA tour, they they qualify for the world. Um, that's probably all I'd imagine. I can't see... T- I'm just trying to think of anywhere else. You might get... Maybe a random Chinese player might get picked. Um, there's a couple of really good young Chinese... Like in the next five, ten years, I can imagine the, the top ten having a couple of Chinese players in there. So maybe one of those guys, just to give them a sort of... Um, a feel for international tournaments. Um, so... Yeah, it'd be a, a bit of a mixed crowd, but if you look um, look around, there's probably it's probably going to be predominantly Australians. Maybe uh, uh, Lee from New Zealand as well might get a gig. So where does it sit though, the Presidents Cup? Like you've travelled the world to see Ryder Cup. Yes. So I don't think that it's anywhere near the Ryder Cup. No. Um, but it's also it's only twenty twenty five years old. Yeah. The Ryder Cup's been going for like a hundred years. So. Um, I oh, know this is. I think that this is the same as every other thing where you cobble together a pretend alliance. Mm. It doesn't it's work. Be. Like Europe is at least, it's a legitimate thing. Like it used to be the European Tour versus the PGA Tour, mm. whereas a lot of the European players now sort of a half European Tour, half PGA Tour. So these guys have a bit of. They had they've got camaraderie from a, a bygone era. Um, whereas this was just a a way of getting people from like, yeah, the, basically the everywhere rest. else yeah. to give them a game. It's like the allies in footy. It doesn't mean anything. It, I don't. It's hard to fire up and play for the Guernsey that doesn't mean anything, or in this case, a flag that doesn't actually mean. I don't even know what flag they they use. Probably some like UN or white flag with. I think it's got green thing, like little wreath-looking things around it. But yeah, I think when when the tournament happens, it's it's all good and it's all go. Particularly if you play it in like Melbourne, where you go right. Well, this is the only time that half these PGA guys are actually going to come out to Australia. So this is your chance to see some good golf, and you can get sort of swept away with the with the emotion of it all once it starts. But in America, it's nowhere near the Ryder Cup. But if you put America versus the rest of the world, they're mm. all going to fire up and yeah. the USA chance are going to be flying around. Well, I mean, that's my only... I want to see... If I'm going to go to something, I want to see the big names. And the Australian tournaments, I think the the PGA Championship was criticised because it just lacked a few big names. But Lacked any names that weren't uh, Australian. Like- I mean, at one stage, the leaderboard was... Top 10 was sort of unrecognisable. They were just... But it, it wasn't like there was a whole bunch of recognisable names that were further down that yeah. that hadn't performed well. It was the no-name all-stars. Yeah. Like they, they had a distinct lack of American players coming out this yep. year, um, and I think it it hurt them. Like they, um, I think it was Harold Varner the third. I didn't even know. I'd never even heard of him, and he'd won two of these PGA titles previously. And I'm like, well. 
if a seasoned sport watcher like me yeah. has never heard of these guys, then what chance are you of enticing a, a tiger or someone of that yeah. ilk out here, like Dusty Johnson? or like We've seen Jordan Spieth come out in the last couple of summers, but he's obviously just gone, well, fuck that. And like, is the money in Australia, as your favourite phrase, a can of Coke and a chocolate donut? Pretty much, of, yeah. So you're coming down here for that. Yeah, it's more you're doing it for the for the game. Good of the game, yeah. Um, more so than like they might have. Um, I think the winner, I think the winner from memory got hundred and eighty thousand, I think, which is pittance for mm. these American guys. So um, by the time you bring your entourage and stuff out here, yeah. Uh, and just finally, uh, sorry for bringing it up prematurely, but uh, obviously Cam Smith and Mark Leishman were the the final guys really pushing it on the Gold Coast. Any takes on that final round? Or? It was actually a pretty good round. Like yeah. I, I enjoyed it. Like I'm a I'm a big Mark Leishman fan. Like mm. I like Cameron Smith because he's just the kid next door that no you could walk down the street and no one would know who he was. And I I enjoy his play, but I just like I really like Mark Leishman and his demeanour and the way he plays and his attitude to it all. Um, and so when he sort of started to fire up in the last round and and got a couple of shots in front, I'm like, yeah, it's nice. Mm. And then. Cam Smith does what Cam Smith does, is just chip away, play constantly, steady golf, got the job done. Um, so he looked a bit a bit shaky early, but then sort of by the middle of the round, Leishman was starting to, uh, starting to fall away under the pressure of just Cameron Smith's relentless par, par birdie, par, par birdie. Mm. Um, and, yeah. And it was it was over, but it was a bit of a disappointment that realistically they were the only two yeah. worth watching, or the or of Australia merit that Channel Seven kept absolutely flogging between five guys that no one's ever heard of. <laughs> um, I don't care if if you win the Order of Australia, the Order of Merit for the Australasian Tour, if you've played twelve tournaments and half of them are like. The WA Open and the the Alice Springs yeah. Pro Am. Who cares? Like, if you're not in one of these televised events that's bringing in big names, yeah, you shouldn't even get shouldn't even get mentioned. I'm often at work um, when the golf the final round of the golf kicks off, and so I'm often just watching the scores online, and you and you want to see apologies to the management of Five WA. You want to see the you want to see the morning tee-off times eclipse the leaders from overnight. You want to see, like, oh, they're yeah. going to have to earn it. But it, it, at didn't, least have it a, didn't happen, really. At least have a... Um, Most of them were still well behind yeah. finishing their rounds. Oh, and especially after the first couple of holes mm. when Leishman sort of birdied a couple early and, and Smith dropped a couple, it just meant that they were miles in front of everyone else. So, mm. no, nah, it was a it was a two-horse race basically from about halfway through the third round. So that I think that would be disappointing, but... It didn't detract from the golf that the two played. It's just they were the only two guys playing good golf. The rest of them were just cruising around, doing their own thing. Good on them, but don't expect my eyeballs to be watching you if you're playing golf that I can see down at North Adelaide from a two handicapper. I can go down there for nothing and watch it.
Chris, I'm not on air for a couple of weeks, and your mindset changes. Normally, we just push soccer or football to the side, just give it a little flick. But you actually put it on the agenda today. Yes. Dive ball, dive ball needed to get some oh. some attention, and thanks to <laughs> our good friend Gary and very loyal listener. Well, he was up until about a month ago. He may not be listening anymore when I told him we wouldn't be doing soccer, but this one's for you, Gary. Oh, a call out. I like it. What uh, What's the big news overnight that's happened in the world of soccer? Well, uh, obviously, um, one of the few female sports in Australia where... They're, they're high profile, they're exciting, and that's the Matildas. Yes. Uh, they've basically dominated for, what, two years, would it be? Or Yeah, I would say the last couple of years. Yeah. But anyway, the, the World Cup is coming up next year. Uh, the sides have been allocated to their pools, and there's always the pool of death. Dun, dun, dun. Matildas. So Australia will be in the group with Brazil, Italy, and Jamaica in Group C. Yes. It's not... I don't... I've seen all the reports say this is a tough, tough pull. I don't think it's that tough. I think okay. we we should still, I think we should still expect that we'll go through. Mm. Whether that's first or second, top two go through. So I would expect um, Brazil and Australia to go through. Italy are an up and coming women's team. Um, they've only just implemented a women's league in Italy just in the last year. I think this year's the first year they've had it. So it's that's surprising, some, isn't it? It is a little bit. Yeah, I was surprised to read that. Um, and Jamaica. Um, are sort of one of those. They're a bit like as the Australian men's team. They one of the lucky qualifiers that should expect to be fodder in the in the main World Cup draw. So yeah, I think Italy would probably be the biggest threat to potentially knock us out of mm. the pools. But um, I would think that. Uh, and the good thing is the pool of death. They're saying that because the Matildas are also an imposing side. Normally, when we're talking about the Socceroos, their number. Three or four, <laughs> four, looking at yeah, looking top at the other four. yeah, they're looking at the top two, thinking they're out of. That's who we've got to compete with. One of those two to get the lucky spot. Yeah, but the Matildas would be what the other sides are going. Oh no, Ooh. we're in with Australia. Being ranked in the top six um, gave us a, a seeding in the tournament. So um, yeah, I would think that given that we've played Brazil so many times in the female. Uh, like World Cups and World Championships and friendlies and um, there's a tournament in the US that gets played I think every year at the moment that um, is basically this US, Brazil, Australia and Japan I think the other one we play, we have played them quite regularly in international play in the last few years and have a reasonable record against them so I would think that whilst Brazil would be give them the most sleepless nights I think Brazil would be just as fearful of mm. us as we are of them. I don't think it's um, it would be an upset for us to to knock them off. I think that our the Matildas play over the last three months in particular hasn't necessarily been the greatest. Mm. Um, we saw against Chile about a month or so ago. They had one really good game where they looked the goods, and then one where they just they looked awful. Mm. So I would hope that they would be starting to, whether this is like their off-season for World Cup and they're, they're building towards a World Cup spot, you don't want to be playing your best football a year out from the mm. from the World Cup. So I would like to think that we're building towards something. I mean, I haven't really given Matildas a lot of my time, like viewing time, but you can't ignore the results and everyone that watches them says the style that they deliver 
is exciting and you look at the scores and you're like, that's worth watching. That's worth watching if there's going to be, you know there's going to be three or four goals. And, I mean, look, I've probably got a fairly negative opinion on on women's sport in general. I just think that the flexibility and the actual athleticism Mm. they have isn't, when you're used to watching a lot of elite male sport, it's not quite the same. So if you're watching like a goalkeeper in a women's soccer team that you go, you've pretty much got to put it in the top corner and it's it's in there. But mm. hitting the top corner mm. takes more skill than I've got. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that they play smart, attacking brand of football, but they're a bit like the Socceroos. I find at times they can be a bit stagnant. Like it, Sometimes it can be basically um, Lisa Havana and... Sam Kerr or bust. Um, it's those two up front or or nothing. So if those two are, are man marked, we can play a pretty awful looking mm. sort of brand. And that's what Chile did in the in that first game. The second game, those two broke away a bit, and and uh, it opens up the whole team. So um, yeah, they don't get anywhere near. I, I think them, the Australian women's cricket team, and the Australian women's hockey team are like top two or three consistently year in, year out and just get basically, in basketball, yeah. get zero airtime for what is elite female sport. So mm. this is their this is their five minutes of fame yeah. on the gumshoe sports report. <laughs> now, you got me, my mind was just ticking away while you were talking there. When you mentioned Italy only having a women's comp for about a year or so, yep. do you think, I was always like, oh, wow, Australia are dominating in soccer or, you know, really emerging as a world power. Is it because Australia was one of the first to really promote and push women's soccer, do you think? We've got the jump on many countries and, and that perhaps Italy in 15 years' time, given that it's a football-crazy nation, that... You know, yeah, um, potentially. But like we've had girls that have been coached and pushed and nurtured in soccer for potentially ten, twelve years. I would think that they would have similar, um, like grassroots stuff. It's just whether they don't have that elite pathway, mm. and it's a bit like women's footy. You can play to a certain standard, and then before the AFLW came along, you had nowhere to go. Yeah. You were kind of stuck. Um, you can go to America. If anyone was good enough, they'd be playing okay. yeah. um, in the American leagues or at least the college system yeah. would be probably the equivalent of any international, um, like any national league. So no, we all know those colleges take every man and his dog if, there's, if they're any good at sport on scholarships and so forth. So um, perhaps, that, that is a, perhaps that is a thing. Um, That'll be my big call. Let's make that my big call. That get onto the Matildas now, yeah. Because yeah, in okay. twenty years' time, everyone will catch up. That and we're as good as the Socceroos. We'll no, I don't. I don't think so. I, like I think that if you look at the junior levels of soccer in Australia, mm. it's the the largest participation mm. sport, and it's this is always going. It always sounds derogatory, and I don't want to don't mean it to sound that way. But it's an easy sport for kids to play mm. because if you take the heading out of it. Balls on the ground, seed ball, kick ball. Yeah, it's not too many players on the field. Or yeah, yeah. you've got a bit of room to move and, and stuff. So um, I think that's why if you look at like under-19s and under-21 World Cup, Australia's normally pretty good. It's just we don't have that elite next level. 
So whether that we do have that advantage, we've got that now and we've had for a couple of years, mm. um, and we don't generally get too many imports coming in. The the W League is predominantly Australian bred players, so um, perhaps that, that that is an advantage. So we'll never know, but worth backing them in 2019, that's for sure. You mentioned Sam Kerr, and she was actually in line for a massive international award. I'll let you pronounce it, but she didn't win the Balloon Door. The Balloon Door. But uh, someone else won it, a, a women's player. Ada Hegerberg. Yes. Um, yes. Now, did. it should have been all about how good this woman is at football. Yes. But tell the story. Well, the uh, young Norwegian lady wins the very first uh, balloon door, which has been available to men for 50-odd years, and only this year they've decided to um, give one to the girls as the for the best player in mm. Female, best female player in world soccer, and the DJ that was kind of hosting the show. As soon as she got the award, then said, "Can you twerk?" So instantly demeaning the the young lady and the award itself. Mm. Um, since come out, she wasn't offended. The DJ sort of said, "Look, it was a uh, English isn't my first language." Yeah. <laughs> And said, I didn't oh, mean it to be cultural understanding. Yeah, yeah, I didn't blame by. Um, which just meant that he was sexist and he didn't think he'd he'd cause offence. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of the um, uh, a lot of women weren't particularly happy with this, and there was a um, no, it's not okay ever to ask questions like that, and which I understand. Like I, I think it was highly inappropriate um, to ask that. On the stage while you were getting the award mm. uh, to do that, but yeah, it's like I think that asking to twerk is probably if you look at the Me Too movement, it's probably a fair way down the um, down the list of things that um, could be wrong. But I think it does. Um, it, I don't. Know, it does just show that there are sexist values out there that mm. are pretty ingrained in. A lot of society mm. that that the person actually thought that that would be acceptable and was seemed genuinely shocked at the outrage that yep. he got coming back to him. So I mean, this is a very white bread popular line of thought, but that's me. But I've heard it so many times that you wouldn't ask a high profile men's player. No, it would be to weird say, to ask him to dance for me. Yeah, move your butt for me. <laughs> It wouldn't be weird if you asked, but <laughs> but most people, I would think that, yeah, that, that would be, you would be looked at weirdly if you asked a guy to do anything except yep. talk about how good he was. Yeah. I mean, it's great. She said, no worries, but. Yeah. And, and like, I think to, that needs to be, needs to be stated that she wasn't offended and, um, and she understood what, what he was saying. She, she, she actually said. That was good. I got to dance on stage mm. with the award for being the best player in the world. So mm. I'm happy. Why wouldn't I want to do that? But I think there's dancing and twerking are there's a difference between those two. Um, twerking is a very sexually explicit dance move. I would suggest mm. as far as dance moves go, it's not the lombardo, but it's mm. not too far behind. I'm blushing. Don't make me blush. Baby. <laughs> Well, Gary, I hope you've enjoyed the five minutes of soccer that we've given you. It uh, it won't be happening again for a few months, so enjoy. 
All right, that sound means it's time for the whip around. Marcus, what have you got for us this week? Let's start with a bit of boxing, something we're both very experienced in. Oh, yes. Uh, It was one of those big-name matches that uh, we like to whip up the enthusiasm for. Everyone, let's be honest, everyone wanted to see Anthony Mundine get his face smashed in. Yeah, Jeff Horn v. Anthony Mundine. The, the school teacher, the, the nicely spoken guy versus the trash talking. The guy that was bullied as, took up boxing because he was bullied yep. against Trash talking, the mouth, basically insulting Jeff a lot of the time. Jeff Horn threw a few barbs back, but it was always mundane throwing the big grenades. Yeah. 96 seconds. Chris, if you, I remember it was probably 15 years ago, you paid for view uh, boxing Big event. Yeah, Mundine Green. Right. How long did that last? Was that... That went the distance. Oh, did it? I don't think anyone got... Oh, maybe not. Yeah. But Mundine won that, like comfortably won that. Yeah. This... Would you be... Like, how much did it cost? Did you ever look into... It was like 50 bucks. Still? I think it was 60 bucks for this one. 50 bucks for a 96... I know you get other lead-up bouts, but... Between some equally no-name all-star boxes. God, that... Oh, look, I would have been happy to pay for that just to see Mundine get... Literally, his face smashed in pretty yeah. quickly. But I would like to have seen Horn just pummel him a, a, a bit more. Okay. And I'll be honest, I've looked at the replay a few times now. If you're ever going to question the integrity of boxing, this is oh. one of those fights. Um, Horn lands a really good punch right on his jaw just before the, we'll call it, knockout blow. The knockout blow wouldn't have knocked the skin off a rice pudding. Like, it, I think he pushed him more than anything else. Like, it wasn't... Like, I think the damage might have been done on the punch previous. Because, mm. yeah, if you look at the, the final blow, there wasn't a real lot to it. And, look, I know there's a couple of people out there that listen to this show that actually are a lot more into boxing than I am and will probably chastise me endlessly for, for having that opinion. But, um, yeah, it didn't... If you saw, if you flicked on the news and you saw the final punch, you would go, "I can do that." That's right. <laughs> yeah. And if you're going to get a million bucks or whatever it was that Mundine got, and that's that's the biggest blow you're going to cop, then I would do that as well. But like I said, there was there were a couple just in the five seconds before the final one that that were <laughs> a couple of pretty decent blows that I would not like to do. Well, 5AA commentator and general lout Stephen Rowe had, after a few shepherds, told friends, I could last 96 seconds and got the opportunity to speak, interview Jeff Horn during the week. And the challenge has been set. And I believe they're possibly going to follow up. Can Stephen Rowe last last more than 100 seconds? Not a chance. And that's my feeling. I think people underestimate the speed in which... Well, is Rowie going to be wearing a helmet? He'd have to, wouldn't he? He'd have to wear one of those. If he didn't wear a helmet, he would break his <laughs> jaw, like, instantly. Yeah, it's, it's oh, silly. Yeah, look, at, look I, I just sort of put a bit of fun and games mm. around what Mundine did, but these guys get smashed for a living all the time. Like, they are... Their bodies are hardened to getting punched regularly. Mm. Rowie's not. <laughs> the biggest the biggest damage his face gets is just jamming pies in it endlessly. Uh. So no, good luck, Rowie. I hope you've got. I hope your missus got some life insurance. Is that just getting back to the match? Is that bringing in Mundine to fight? We we all felt like it wasn't. It was past him. I I wondered what 
was whether this was a bit of a cash grab for for Horn mm. because he had everything to lose in this fight. Mundine's yeah. got nothing to lose. He was going to get paid, and he either gets knocked out by a guy who's younger and higher in the world rankings than him, yeah. or he beats someone who is better than him, and he his legacy continues. But but does it say something about the sport that we we need a Mundine in it for the general schmo like me to, to even raise half an eyebrow at a boxing match that you go, oh, well, Mundine's involved, and, and Horn, obviously. But Look, you I mean, needed the two names yeah, to get... Any, like, if it was anyone else in Australian boxing, would anyone have watched or would it got no. any media time? No. Mm. But that's what... That was the only way they're going to get two Australians to box that mm. people are going to pay for. People aren't going to pay for it. Like They could put Sonny Bill Williams in the ring and no one's paying to watch Sonny Bill Williams get his mm. face beaten off by um, Jeff Horner. Uh, Jeff Horn. So, yeah. that Unless he goes and fights a Manny Pacquiao again or someone of that ilk that people have heard of in Australia or that Americans or internationals are going to pay to watch, you need at least one big name. And Jeff Horn isn't isn't that guy at the moment. Mm. Um He's had a couple of chances, mixed success um, with his international fight so far, but he needs to take a big scalp now to warrant having a pay-per-view um, fight. So, And that's where the money is in boxing. Um, MMA's kind of taken half of boxing's um, audience away. So, um, look, you could say that Boxing is a dying sport, but I would have said bo- boxing is a dying sport <laughs> 15 years ago, but it, it's not. It's got its uh, loyal supporter base that that will follow it regardless of what happens. Um, and it's not like MMA's kind of dropped off the perch because it, to be honest, it, it looks more like it's turned into wrestling. Like it's almost the stuff that happens outside of the ring that's as it's entertaining as what's going on in the ring, whereas boxing's always... You know what you get with boxing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, I mean, good luck to, to Horn. I, I just don't think that we're going to see him fighting an Australian unless... Uh, I, don't, I can't even name anyone, though. Mm, that's um, it. Jeff Fennick comes out of retirement. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> I love you all. <laughs> Let's turn to hockey. Yes. The Kookaburras... The Australian men's side dominating, basically. Yeah, we're cleaning up. They've got the World Cup going on in India at the moment and a um, bit of a sketchy start against Ireland. It took a sort of late goal to, to beat them 2-1 and then some last minute or some last quarter dominance against the Poms knocked them off, I think, three. Neil was a score. And then, oh, the poor Chinese, they copped it. Um, 11 we put past them. So... Looking at sort of what happens, we've we've now won the pool, um, which was not the pool of death. I don't think I think it's safe <laughs> to say we weren't in that one this time. Um, so it's weird the way the World Cup works. So your your top team goes through to the quarterfinals from each, but there's four pools. Top team goes through two and three, cross over, and they they play each other to see who goes into the quarterfinals. So Australia's competition. Um, is still unknown. We've got France playing China in one of the crossover games, and whoever wins that um, will play the Aussie. So the crossover game is Monday. The Australian game is Wednesday night, um, and that's being shown on on Fox. So if you've got Fox, do yourself a favour. It's pretty 
viewer-friendly times. Mm. Most of them have been sort of prime time, 8 o'clock. I think the first game starts at like 5 o'clock in the afternoon. So um, whether I'm not sure with the quarterfinals, because there's only the two games being played a day, whether that'll kind of drift out to maybe a 10 o'clock yeah. um, starting time. But um, well worth it. The, the Kookaburras, are, they've lost a couple of big names in the last few years, but they're still an exciting team to watch. And... The athleticism of these guys is say, just mental. I don't know if it's because I'm getting older, but I watch these people. And I'm like, my God, you are sprinting the whole time. Like they're just <laughs> they're running. Are, they are up and back. Yeah, like, not sprinting, but they're on the move. And the, it always looks deceptive when you see a ball sort of come lobbing in mm. or getting past. That's like two meters out in front of them. But the way the pitches are watered, like they are waterlogged mm. um, at the start of play, and like each break they turn the sprinklers on. And so the ball just skits. And so if it's out of reach by one step and it gets past you, you're not catching it up. The ball just doesn't slow down. So these guys, like you said, are just flat stick up and back um, the whole time. They're basically running a marathon with a hockey stick and wearing potential um, balls in the face. So uh, <laughs> easy, Tiger. <laughs> easy. I know it's our last show of the year, but there's no need to be that loose. But one of the good improvements that uh, a lot of you haven't seen hockey for a while, they've had this for a number of years now, but whenever there's a penalty corner now, they all wear masks and cricket gloves. Because when you, if you get a penalty corner, um, you have to flick the ball outside the circle, knock it back in, and then basically someone just tees off golf style at the goals. And so these guys are standing there like seven, seven or eight metres away while someone blasts a hockey ball at them. And all they've got is what looks like ski goggles and um, cricket gloves on. And as soon as, the, as soon as the ball goes out of play, all of a sudden you just see this explosion of gloves <laughs> and goggles as they all get thrown over the back. And then as soon as there's a penalty corner again, you've got 30 seconds to go and get your stuff on and, and go again. So... No, I'd, I'd highly recommend watching any of the games. Um, none of the quarterfinals, obviously, have been decided yet, but England-New Zealand, the crossover, um, is the other only known game we've got at the moment. So that should be um, a good uh, a good game to watch. Both of those teams are quite good. New Zealand's uh, steadily improving over the last few years, so they might be a contender. Fortunately, we won't play them unless it goes through to the final. Same with the Poms, obviously. Um, so at the moment, we've got India, France, China, Canada. And at this stage, it's looking like uh, possibly the Netherlands on our side of the draw. So um, there should be some entertaining... Like Netherlands and India um, in a quarterfinal would be uh, an entertaining game mm. to watch. So do yourselves a favour. Check it out. Let's turn to rugby league. Chris, uh, in the AFL, we're, we're just now getting used to players and, and coaches swapping in and doing it earlier and earlier and sort of giving an indication that they're moving. But this in in the NRL is the most bizarre thing I've I've ever encountered where yeah. two coaches, have, they're doing the wife swap. <laughs> well, Warren and I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago and at that stage it was Bennett had decided that he was staying with Brisbane and that that's the way it was going to be. This week it's everything's been sort of turned on its head and mm. the Broncos have have sacked Wayne Bennett. Um, sounds like he's been causing a bit of a stir behind the scenes. Um, details are still a bit sketchy on exactly what what has happened, but 
Um, obviously, everyone's unhappy with Bennett. I think he's basically the only reason that this trade wasn't wasn't done earlier. But um, no, it ended with uh, Wayne Bennett getting sacked, and they couldn't get hold of him, so they left him a voicemail and then sent him an email telling him he was sacked. So he hasn't responded on the Broncos uh, website or anything like that. But you um, know what could only be described as. Uh, a bit of a jab to the Broncos. He's done an interview with the uh, Rabbitohs website saying he was glad to come to a wonderful club. So, um, cop that Broncos. Um, yeah, like you said, this is this is weird. I don't. And so the Rabbitohs coach goes to Brisbane. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, I, like I said to Warren a couple of weeks ago, I don't know why they didn't just do this, given that both clubs knew what the coach that they wanted moving forward and that it wasn't the one they had and that a swap would have just made sense. Like what? I don't know what was to gain by hanging around a year, whether it was the Broncos thought they owed Wayne Bennett, but the talk that I heard was that it was Wayne Bennett wanted to stay. And I don't know why, why he would want to stay. If you knew you were leaving somewhere, I always think of every time I've left the job, I don't want to hang around. Mm. I don't want to... I want to hand in my retirement and get told there's the door, we'll pay out. And this is no different. It's the off-season. There's nothing to be gained by hanging around. Just just go. And it was funny listening to one of the players that said, oh, you know, I was um, preparing with uh, Seabold on Friday and then on Monday, Bennett takes over. Yeah. So yet one session you're doing this, the next session... Forget, that. Forget about that, boys. We're doing it this way. We're doing it the Bennett way. And you'd want to hope that they were having, they had similar game plans because, <laughs> I mean, it's pre-season. So it's, you're not, I wouldn't have thought they'd be heavily into their game plan mm. implementation at this stage. It's probably still yeah, just, fitness, yeah. um, building out your fitness base. But, yeah, it, it, the whole thing is just it's yeah. weird. You've got to hope that um, Bennett's legacy in Brisbane isn't tarnished by the final moment. You, I, guess I would got, think it would have to be. Like he didn't yeah. win anything coming back, so it's not like he's he's come back to save the club or anything. Yeah. He's they've they've been competitive, but yeah. they've not. Yeah, I, I don't. I, yeah, I mean, I don't think that if he'd have left willingly, I think that would have been fine. I don't mm-hmm. think it would have been tarnished, but he didn't win anything, and he's basically thrown all the toys out the cot on the way out, um, and. By all the reports that I've read, which admittedly I'm not like an NRL buff, so I'm reading a lot of this without that depth of knowledge, Mm. but it seems like he was the problem from the start and he's the one that keeps changing everyone else's plans. Um, And so they've obviously had a gut full. I had heard that he'd spoken to some of the South's players and that was the final straw for the Broncos, but I've not... I've read that in a couple of places, but nothing sort of confirmed. So, like I said with Warren, it's it's really weird. It's one of those things where you kind of have to wait so for the dust to settle and for yeah, and just for the heat to go out of it before you might actually get a a proper rundown of of the events that led up to it. So, um, I mean, good luck to Wayne Bennett. I think mm. he's he's a very. Uh, I don't think he's great for league itself like he, he may be a super coach but um he's he's not good at media um he's always comes across as an angry man and now he's doing this i don't think it does his personal 
um, legacy any good at all. But if he wins a flag with with the Rabbitohs, then all will be forgiven and all hail the king. Now, one sport you do have a depth of knowledge in is Formula One. Yes. Now, what have you been? Formula what have you been doing uh, now that Sunday nights between like ten and two a.m. <laughs> You no longer need to stay up and watch a race. I've been sleeping. Oh. I've been enjoying sleeping. Well, so it is the off-season. We know about uh, Daniel Ricciardo's well-publicised move. Um, yep, to Renault. But uh, tell, us, tell us about some of the other well, rotating the end, seats. Yeah, they finally got all the seats uh, for next year's team sorted. And it turns out there's only two teams that are going in with the same two drivers. Hmm. So um, interesting, some interesting changes. With, with Ricciardo going, it leaves a spot open at Red Bull. And Pierre Gasly's taken that spot. Who was the? Um, he's been with Toro Rosso this year, which is like the Red Bull Junior team. But this was only his first year in in Formula One this year, and he's gone straight up into the big boys. Same things happened with uh, Charles Leclerc, who's gone from uh, Sauber up to Ferrari. Um, this was known sort of a couple of, or maybe six or so weeks ago, with him and Kimi Raikkonen deciding to swap positions. Kimi Raikkonen being like 72 years old and is still running around, has decided he still wants to keep racing. So he's gone back to the Saubers, which is, in years past, it's been sort of the the go-karts while the others are driving Formula 1s. But with Leclerc in the seat, they had a bit of... Uh, they had some decent results this year that have, have been um, surprising and good. So whether he's doing a more of a... Um, a mentoring role. They've got um, Giovinazzi, who's come out from um, GP2. He's going to fill that spot. It's his first year in Formula 1, so it might be good to have that um, experienced head just to, to sort of guide him through. It sounds like Raikkonen has done that for the right reasons. He started his career with Sauber. It sounds like he wants to finish it there and was happy to go back and, and give back to the sport, which you don't quite often see. Um the other big news is um, Lance Stroll going from Williams and just underperform. Oh, the Williams has been just horrible this year, but Lance Stroll's managed to get himself a spot at Force India. Now, some may say that's because his dad owns a team. Others who say differently are wrong, basically. <laughs> um, yeah, um, Force India went through some financial difficulties uh, this year to the point where they put in receivership halfway through the year. Um Lance Stroll's dad stepped up and has bought a substantial share in the team and the talk was very early that that meant that his his son was going to get a gig. So now that he's in a semi-competitive car, um, he will need to perform. It'll be interesting to see what happens because I don't think... He had a couple of good results last year. This year he didn't have a great year. If he doesn't perform in this Force India, how they handle dad... Uh, getting rid of son will be will be interesting. Take away his pocket money. Well, well he's only nineteen. So <laughs> I see, he's, mate. He's not, yeah, that may very well be the case. Now, Williams is the interesting one. They've got Robert Kubica coming back, who some F one fans may remember was part of um, the Red Bull team a couple of years ago. Uh, in the off season, decided to go enter himself in a rally, wipe the car out, and actually did a substantial damage to. Um, basically one side of his body. And now, is, I think it's his... I'm pretty sure it's his left hand is quite immobile and has very limited functions. So he's been testing for a year. Everyone's been... T- the talk is whether they... Whether he'll be able to actually physically drive a Formula 1 car. He's done some testing, had some good times. So 
Um, they've decided to roll the dice and, and give him a go. They've also got George Russell, um, who won the F2 title this year. Looks like the 12-year-old work experience kid, but this dude can seriously drive a car. So um, the other big names is probably Toro Rosso. They've got Danny Kvyat back. So um, he went from being in the main Red Bull team two seasons ago got dropped to um, get Max Verstappen up into that team and then within sort of a season and a half got dropped out of the Toro Rosso team for some pretty ordinary driving. So he's back. Um, I think Toro Rosso had very limited options as to who they were actually going to pick um, as their drivers. So uh, it's good to see him get another go, though, because he, he was actually... He beat Danny Ricciardo a couple of years ago. So... Um, it was a fairly substantial fall from grace within the space of like two or three seasons. So for him to get another go, I think, is is good news. So the only other one is uh, Lando Norris is uh, getting a game, getting a go at McLaren. He's another young uh, English driver who um, is has got the potential to be to be anything. But in the last sort of five years, we've seen some really good talented young drivers come up now it's up to the teams to provide these drivers with the cars that can compete with each other and at this stage that that doesn't look like happening there have been some aero changes that to the like aerodynamics next year so it should make racing a little bit closer but there still seems to be it's um mercedes and ferrari closely followed by red bull red bull seem to be only competitive on certain tracks that suit them and then it's kind of the best of the rest. So hopefully, for Danny Rick's sake, um, the Renaults can sort of step up in the next couple of years and get them into a title contending car so that he can uh, compete. Otherwise, he may regret making the move. So, yeah, interesting. I love F1s. Um, can't wait for it to, to kick off again. Chris, this has been a bumper episode. It's because it's our last for the year. Before we go, yep. let's sort of look back on 2018. Anything that comes to mind that you've you've loved talking about on the Gumshoe Sports Report? Oh, there's two things that spring instantly to mind. My two highlights of the year were dart fart and also <laughs> managing to utter the phrase deep-throating wieners after the 4th of July hot dog eating competition. They were my two two highlights. <laughs> what were your... Give us a couple of your highlights. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about it, and I think it's um, Sandpaper Gate was a big one for us. Yeah. And... I, we were mentioning it earlier, I was one of those people that had the Australian cricket side on a pedestal. So for us to thrash out what's wrong with something I'd loved for so many years and, and really deconstruct what's going on with Australian cricket, I've loved doing that. Yep. Um, and, yeah, probably also um, just covering a few sports I hadn't really delved into too much and also just talking basketball. We haven't... Um, that's probably an area that doesn't get too much of a, a chat, but we um, spoke about the 36ers, spoken about NBA and the playoffs, and it's been good. Now we've got uh, young Ben joining us on board as mm. one of the on-air people. He is um, an NBA nut so um, and follows the NBL, but NBA is his nice. thing. So if you do like basketball, stay tuned. Uh, there, you'll get a bit more... Um, expert knowledge than than what you and I can provide. I'll be handballing all basketball onto him from now on. But nice. I'd like to thank you for your time throughout the year. Thanks also to uh, Warren and uh, Andy for their help throughout the year. It's been great uh, chatting and uh, just talking about the things that 
that I love, all, all sports basically. So um, from us, I hope all of you have a lovely Christmas and a happy new year. And we should also put in special thanks to our uh, other, our better halves yes. for, for tolerating our Sunday afternoon shenanigans. <laughs> um, I think they, they deserve a, a power of um, love from, from us. Well done, Kathy. Well done, Anna. Yes. Now, uh, so it's the off-season. I'll be getting a little um, Christmas putting guts in the next couple of weeks. You're going into surgery as a true sport. No, yeah, we'll yeah it's off-season, so I thought yeah, I'd get going under off-season, the off-season <laughs> surgery, um, which hopefully will uh, allow me to play golf, because if I don't start doing something soon, I'm going to go stir-crazy. So, yes, hopefully that goes well. All right. It's been great year. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you bigger and better than ever next year.